Something we often talk about on Alpaca is how identity impacts our experience of travel. As a cis white woman, it's very difficult for me to relate to airport discrimination, racial profiling, and just general airport anxiety. Because for me, transiting through airports all over the globe has been of little to no concern. But in my research into airport experiences, I've started to notice that my experience is very privileged. Today, let's find out why. Peppermint is an actress, singer, television personality, drag queen, and activist. She's known to many as the beloved runner-up on the ninth season of RuPaul's Drag Race. In 2018, Peppermint made her Broadway debut in the Go-Go's-inspired musical, Head Over Heels, playing the role of Pythia. She became the first trans woman to originate a principal role on Broadway. But she had made history before this already, because Peppermint was the first transgender contestant to go on RuPaul's Drag Race, who was out prior to the show airing. So today, we're going to chat with Peppermint about her experience as not only a trans woman, but a trans black woman who travels frequently. Nice to meet you. Hi. Hi. I'm Peppermint. So first of all, welcome, Miss Peppermint. Can I call you Agnes, or do you prefer I call you Pe- uh, Peppermint? Well, here's a little joke. <laughs> um, uh, I don't mind if you call me Agnes, but to be honest with you, and I really do appreciate you asking, but you should know, I generally only go by Peppermint, um, and... That's just kind of to keep things simpler for me, you know. Uh, but Agnes is actually not any of my names. <laughs> really? Um, it's yeah. It's on Wikipedia, and I, I am I'm aware that that apparently my name is Agnes because people have told me that my name is Agnes when they meet <gasps> me for the first time. But it's not actually my name. It's not on my license. It's never been on any of my birth certificates and I've never introduced myself as Agnes to anybody but it's the it's the name that just follows me around but that's okay <laughs> so please call me Peppermint <laughs> do you know where this name originated from I don't I don't know who thought it up it's just another alias that people that I don't want <laughs> yeah okay we'll call you Peppermint <laughs> okay um so obviously I would love to just get the insider scoop about RuPaul's Drag Race for the next hour, Um, but it's a travel podcast, so I'm going to try my best to stay on brand. Um, So we wanted to invite you on to Alpaca to tell us about your experiences traveling as a trans black woman. And I wanted to use a term we learned from another guest of ours, Andrew. He used an identity first framework to share with us the challenges that he faces as a disabled traveler. Um, so could you give us an identity first lowdown, like explain to us the elements of your identity that impact your day-to-day life? 
Yeah. Um, the elements of my identity that impact my day-to-day life. By the way, I love your avatar when you're, when you're going out. Thank um, you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say that the, the, the number one identity that impacts my daily life and, and, and always has um, is my blackness. It in both from two ways. It informs kind of who I am and, and my approach to, to things. And my, of course, my positioning on different issues and matters and subjects and, and different things in life. And also my, you know, relationship to my family and then also my relationship to, to others. But then also, um, of course, my, uh, how I'm viewed and, and it has, I think at one point or another kind of impacted my socioeconomic position, positioning, at least for my family. And I remember thinking at, a, at one point in time when I was younger, and this may or may not have been correct, but from my perspective, I remember, you know, I, I, we didn't have enough money to go to, to on school trips and things like that. I almost never, I never went on any school trips. And I was in a lot of different like clubs and organizations like the band who would travel all the time. And so I, I remember thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be so much easier if I had, if I'd been born white, you know, I remember being taking karate. I was so excited when my mom well, it was actually judo and my mom uh, got and enrolled me in judo and I signed up and I was really happy and I was really doing well. I was, if I'd say, seemed to be grasping the concept a lot better than my peers at the time, but they all surpassed me. And I wasn't, I never left like white belt, you know, like the lowest rank white belt, which is what you start out as because I didn't, we didn't have the money to, to, to take the test to go to the next level because we didn't have the money. And so there was a lot of moments like that, that I felt like I was a disadvantage. And then the second layer of that is just the swishiness with which I walked through life. It was, um, I, was I faced a lot of treatment and that was akin to what people would say, like misogyny. And um, even though I didn't express myself and I didn't claim womanhood at the time, um, all you have to do is be perceived as male and embracing womanhood or femininity to be mistreated and kind of thrown, <laughs> you know, aside. And so I was beat up and chased and teased and bullied. And then, you know, it was so interesting as someone who was perceived as male and I would have, I, you know, as a young as a young person, I, I didn't know what trans meant or the ability to possibly change my appearance or with plastic surgery. And I certainly didn't think that I had the, the means to do those things. I couldn't even get a damn, you know, to the stripe on my white belt. And so it was just so ironic that as someone, before I transitioned and kind of embraced womanhood, I was accused and kind of bullied and targeted for, for being to a woman <laughs> yeah and you know and then now that i'm a woman 
<laughs> you know, I'm subjected to being targeted and, and accused of being a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. So those are the, the some of the um, identities that I carry. Of course, um, my identity as an African-American, which is different than an African or a Caribbean, my American lens at which I view my blackness is, is very different. Um, and so there's that. And then coming back to being a trans woman is the identity in which I engage with others on most frequently, politically, of course, socially, um, and as in kind of, you know, on an advocacy level, and even artistically and creatively, um, that's the realm in which I tend to operate in the most because we are, as a Black trans woman, um, you know, that is the identity that is also most targeted and frequently discriminated against and also kind of left in um, discarded as undesirable more often than than any of my other identities. Mm-hmm. I actually, so I have a background in um, feminist studies, uh, gender studies, and I always tried to describe to people what intersectional feminism was by explaining like the different ways that identity impact our experience of marginalization. And I described it sort of as like, like you said, like layers, but also as a pyramid. So as like a white woman, I do experience a degree of marginalization, but I'm a little higher on the pyramid because of my whiteness. And I always thought that was a good way of describing it to show people how there's there's really different degrees and layers to your experience of marginalization. Exactly. Yeah. And um, and I think that whole, um, you know, I, I've never really heard the term intersections it, it used until probably like several five or six years ago, maybe seven years ago. And it really is the best way to describe um, and and chart um our relationship to marginalization and oppression and you know the patriarchy that's always interesting but yeah those are those are those are the more inescapable identities that um affect my daily life and i have learned to embrace not that they are not worthy of being embraced but things that i have been targeted for and teased for in the past i've learned to kind of accept like as a woman being six foot tall is somewhat unusual and as a as a woman with a rather deep voice um that's another kind of red flag for other people (laughs) yeah and i've had to kind of really I'm, i'm actually recording an album right now where I'm singing and, you know, singing is something I've been doing for a long time. And it's initially was something that I just really could not stand the sound of my voice. I think most people don't like the sound of their voices recorded when they're not used to hearing them. Yeah. But particularly when, uh, as a, as a trans woman, whose ability to kind of like live in my womanness is new to me, newer to me than, than other women around me. 
um, yes, 91 and Broadway. Sorry, I'm in a cab. Um, as a woman who's, some of these things are newer to me, hearing my voice through, through kind of reflected back to me with other people is always really different. It is always really interesting, you know, and, and, and that's something I'm kind of embracing. And the more I embrace it, the less of, of a barrier, I think it is, the less of a detractor or a weapon that people can use it against me, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So something we often talk about on this podcast is how identity impacts our experience of travel. So as a cis white woman, mm-hmm. it's really difficult for me to relate, especially to airport discrimination, um, racial profiling, and even just like general airport anxiety, because I for years mm-hmm. have been transiting through airports with little to no concern. So I'm wondering if you can tell us about your experience transiting through airports from an identity first perspective. Absolutely. Um, You know, I remember traveling in airports, you know, 10, 20 years ago before my medical transition. And um, yeah, just stop the car. I'll get out wherever you pull the car. Yeah, it's right here is beautiful. Thank you. Miss, and it's, wow, I just got misgendered (laughs) in the taxi. Anyway, um, so what I was going to say was traveling, um, I remember like 10 or 20 years ago traveling, and I remember traveling with some friends, we were going to, we were flying to Florida. And we were traveling as a group, so we were like a group of like obviously queer people. And we got on our flight to Florida, and we were like the last ones on the flight, of course, because I guess we were late. And we're walking through, and it was like as if a record scratched, and everyone on the flight was like looking at us. You know, we were friends on a trip, and we weren't being extremely loud or obnoxious, but it was just really interesting how they how people were like you know stopping and staring and i remember like stopping and you know basically announcing to the whole air airplane yes we're queer yeah that was you know i think my queerness um my queerness really was kind of a, a way that people would target me like socially like just like other people my peers co-workers you know my other students, classmates. I remember feeling from like just people that were supposed to be kind of like on my same level, they would often point out, you know, some of the um, the ways that they were either uncomfortable with my presence or the ways that my, my presence, my existence was a disruption. I remember being afraid that just being kind of trans in public was going to subject me to a lot of discrimination. And while I'm susceptible to it, and it does happen as it just did in the car, um, I'm surprisingly, and I think that's what my, my kind of relationship to the privilege that I carry as someone who was on TV, as someone who is at a particular earning level that doesn't necessarily expose me to, um, to as much discrimination as, as I could experience. Um, I've been able to, to dodge a good amount of it. 
Um, but there's a book that's called Beyond Trans, Does Gender Matter? Uh, by Heath Fogg Davis. And he really he goes in and talks about all of the ways that the, the gender binary is used. I mean, I think we all know that so many things are gendered in our, in our society, but it's specifically in terms of people being gatekeepers and, and giving people access to certain spaces, um, public spaces, um, whether it's bathrooms, obviously lot, um, lines at the airport in terms of like who you're going to get scanned yeah. by or get um, kind of patted down by if you have to go get a scanner. You know, um, in Philadelphia, they used to uh, collect the bus passes and the bus passes would be gendered with an M or an F marker on them, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, like what difference does it make? Yeah. And so there's a, there's a lot of those moments and, and each of those moments was an opportunity for someone who led an otherwise a very typical life and existence at a humdrum, humdrum job, the ability to become like this all powerful person who could deny a trans person access to a space and even interrogate them you know, about their bodily parts, about their genitalia in public, in front of the busload of people. And so that's only happened to me a couple of times. The one time that I was traveling, I was in an airport in Russia, and this was before I had the opportunity to change over my, my identification documents, my passport, my ID. And so I was traveling as I have done many times before. And in the past, I had just kind of um, did it on a wing and a prayer. I would travel, I have my ticket, should be good. I'm obviously the same person in my ID, even though you know, how I'm presenting may be different. Mm. Um, and I never really had an issue until I got to the Moscow airport in Russia. And at that point, um, I was changing, I was on a connection, so I was in a rush, getting off the plane, running to the next gate, which is always like the other end, it might as well be in another country. And by the time I get there, the attendant was she took my ID and just couldn't believe that it was me. Couldn't believe, I don't know what she could believe because she wasn't communicating anything other than the look on her face of disbelief, which turned into this kind of disapproval. And I was, you know, basically in a position where she was not going to, it was clear that she was not going to let me through, which meant missing my flight and then potentially having to stay in Russia in the airport for, I don't know. And so I could talk to someone who wanted to help. And that was not, that didn't seem like it was going to happen anytime soon. So I, um, I was in a position where I basically, I removed my wig when it was the only kind of thing that I could do within my power to show that, okay, I am the same person. Mm -hmm. And that is honestly, it, for me, it's almost as humiliating as actually disrobing because it is, you're being forced or baited into a situation where you are kind of you you you're you're supporting the stereotype. You're supporting the 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 conception, the misconception that trans people are perpetrators and that we're sneaking around and you know, oh look, it's really just a man after all of that, right? Right, yeah. And so 
you know, I was in that position where I kind of had to concede and say, okay, yeah, <laughs> you got me. Mm. You know, this isn't my hair. And uh, that was very, it was traumatic, extremely traumatic. I was in tears the rest of the flight. I'll never forget. It, it was it was always important to, to me to change over my documents, but I just, I honestly wasn't able to. But then afterwards, I realized this is so important and I just have to do it and do what I need to do. And, and that took about like six months to, you know, have my name legally change and get all the documents and it's expensive and you have to, you know, I had to hire a lawyer. Mm. You had to go to court to get your, you know, the judge to agree and just all of this stuff. And, you know, and then dealing with the, I mean, no one likes to go to the DMV. Imagine having to do it like six times for every single thing. So yeah, it was a lot, but it was worth it. Yeah. But it just points again to like how inaccessible that process in itself is, which by proxy makes travel less accessible for people who like maybe it is not financially in their means to go and have the paperwork done. Mm-hmm. We're talking about, you know, identity and especially from the people of trans experiences too. There's two pieces. One of them is passing privilege where a trans person isn't necessarily read as trans, not necessarily like visually detectable Mm. or, you know, just when they're moving about their everyday life. And then the other is, um, is pretty privilege, uh, which is, you know, whether you're passable or not, you're attractive enough for us to allow you through into the women's room, into, you know, the place, the public place without any scrutiny. Right. through through the airport um, and so that's always been really interesting to me yeah I've ac- yeah. I've heard of passing privilege but that's a new one for me pretty privilege yeah I've heard uh, I've had this conversation with lots of my girlfriends about you know pretty privilege and I think passing privilege is the big signifier of that is for, comes from other people you know how how they treat you is really going to be it's going to it's going to inform you on on your relationship to either of those privileges but pretty privilege is real especially when it's um a a a well-known trans person whose transition is public then there's less passing privilege because people already know Mm. and so they're not really passing for appearing to be cis they're just beautiful and so you know there's certain privileges that we afford to people who we think are attractive yeah and that that includes trans people yeah absolutely um and on the topic of passing privilege in some of the research that i was doing it was um showing that tsa agents in the u.s haven't been educated on how to handle screening decisions when they aren't sure of a person's gender or their gender expression so I was reading that they don't have any formal guidelines or any sensitivity training. Um, yeah, in one account that I read, which was written by a person who identifies as non-binary, they said that mm-hmm. before they go into an airport, they do everything that they can to change their appearance to appear as one or the other gender because they want to avoid misgendering so badly. But then, as you mentioned, it's traumatic to have to go through that every single time you need to go through an airport i just thought that this was like in 2019 that tsa agents haven't had any training on this just seems really absurd to me 
Yeah, I mean, I th- this is the thing that we is really interesting, right? Um, and it's it, I was actually watching an, a video last night um, on the BBC uh, done by some trans women in 1973 um, who were talking about just what it's like to live as a trans woman and kind of be in sort of society as a trans woman. Um, and there's a lot of things that were different. Um, but many of them were the same. Back then, the struggle and the focus was more on educating people on what it means to be trans and simplifying it as 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 much as possible, so that it's just this is me and I'm a woman and that's it as a trans woman or look I'm a trans man and that's it I'm a man. Nothing nothing more to to say or do, and it really doesn't challenge people to step up to the plate and kind of expand their idea much on what it means to be male or female or what what really like wrapping our mind around gender and and how we use it and so i think you know i for a while i thought that you know one of the more nuanced or progressive ideas about gender was going to be kind of told through or it would, would include um, a good understanding of what, who and what a trans person is today. And while I think that's true, I now think the key, the true key, which will provide the most, for lack of a better word, balance, is a really good understanding and respect and appreciation for folks who are non-binary or gender non-conforming. And I think that's the only time that we'll really be able to kind of release ourselves from the kind of gender prison that we've so happily locked ourselves in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's wild to me how many times you still need to explain to someone the difference between, like, gender and sex and sexuality. Like, for such a progressive, or we think we think that we're progressive in 2019, and yet people still don't have a basic grasp on the differences between what these things are. Um, so, yeah, I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about your travel decisions and, like, your relationship to travel. Do you find now that you've, like, found figured out a way to experience airports with minimal anxiety? Are there certain places that you won't travel to because it's too much stress? Um, okay. Yeah, just curious your thoughts. There haven't been any, okay, so my relationship to travel initially was kind of, I, I think I was kind of terrified about travel initially, um, not knowing sort of, I just, I just knew that I was always the target. Um, it wasn't until I became um, I was able to, I don't want to say the word relax, but I was, it wasn't until I was able to feel as confident as possible in my own appearance years ago, even prior to my actual medical transition, mm-hmm. that I was able to kind of, you know, not worry too much or not, not like bemoan the um, travel. And I didn't look at it as something that was com- like completely scary. It definitely is to some people. You know, initially I was um, just kind of, my approach was just like, well, let's just see what happens. And if they detain me, they detain me. I'm not a terrorist. I'm not like 
I don't have any weapons other than gender. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I should be fine. Um, that was initially kind of my approach to everything. Um, then later on, once I started my medical transition and, and really realized that this is something that, that my documents is, is, is something that I'm going to have to really handle. Uh, then I got a little bit more scared because I was worried about what if I travel to, you know, I'm not worried about traveling to like London or, you know, not, you know, but what if I do travel to somewhere in the, like in far in the East, like, like Eastern Europe, um, you know, Russia, or even the Middle East, you know, somewhere, what's going to happen? Um, because I remember watching a story on some trans women and trans people in, I want to say, Saudi Arabia. I, I'm not sure exactly, but in, in, a, in a particular Middle, Middle Eastern country in there was, where there was a culture um, that some people would describe as really as extremely homophobic um, and... Um, dangerous for queer and trans people and women. So I remember watching a special and it was on, it was particular, they were doing a story on the trans women that were in this country. And they were talking about, you know, if you're a trans woman and you're in this country, the government will pay for your, your operations, your surgeries, um, at least your gender reassignment surgery. And I thought that was amazing at first, but then I realized this is just because they don't really know how to, they don't want to move their marker. They don't want to move their, they don't want to make any type of paradigm shift to better understand humanity and, you know, misogyny. And, and they just want another, here's another woman, whoever they are, to just conform so that they follow the rules and step in line like all the other women that they that that's what they would like and this is we know how to deal with you when we can control you as a woman rather than having to make a paradigm shift about anything else mm -hmm. and so if you are willing to have the complete gender reassignment surgery and pretty much check everything on their box that fulfill your your approach to womanhood then they will bless you with the honor and the, the the gift of being an oppressed woman <laughs> um and i just thought that that was really interesting and at first i thought it was oh how progressive is this and then i kind of thought oh wait a minute no because what will she be able to to enjoy any of the kind of um freedoms or luxuries or privileges that that we have in the states as progressive or as queer trans women you know, what does that mean? Yeah. And actually, like what you were saying about some of those countries, one thing I was reading is that it's still illegal to be gay in 71 countries around the world. And the argument is that because many people don't understand the differences between sex, gender and sexuality, they don't understand the binary. These laws pose safety risks for basically anyone who identifies within the LGBTQ plus community. Um, because they're just assumed to be gay in these countries where they just don't have a, a strong understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So to close up, I wanted to ask you if you wanted to share with us maybe a lighter experience, something fun that you've done, like a memory you have from your travels. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
What's the best, you know, your favorite place you've ever been to? Uh, the favorite, my favorite place that I've ever traveled to um, from long ago was my first time, my first trip to Dublin, Ireland. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't so much the actual travel that I was in love with, to be honest with you, but it was, it's just being there and being in another, being in this beautiful country, being in Ireland, um, even though I'm, I, I don't really know, but I'm not Irish, and, <laughs> uh, but for some reason I have um, an, such a connection and affinity for I, for the Irish, but also the 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 Republic of Ireland, and um, I just think it's a beautiful place, and so I really enjoy myself every time I'm there. I have a lot of friends that live there now, and I've been able to to really um, enjoy it. The first time I ever went, I was performing, and people were just screaming and hollering, and I mean that's probably why I liked it so much, <laughs> is the, the 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 people that were at my show were just like basically doing backflips. And I was like, this is the best place ever. Um, that's always been great. I'm going back again to to India uh, for the second time in just a few months. And that is, uh, I only saw a very small, you know, I only saw a couple of cities, which is like not even, you know, not a major percentage of what I could see, have seen. But being able to go and travel to India um, was extremely, it was just, it was life-changing. There's no other way to say it. Yeah, I've been there as well, and I'm also going to be going back this year um, because something about it, like, sucks you in. It's very, it's, mm-hmm. like, challenging, but in a really beautiful way. Mm-hmm. I remember being on the flight back home thinking, I can't do this ever again because, <laughs> not it wasn't even the, the, the flight, but it was just, like, you know, the, the culture... It, as you, I'm sure you know, it's just so different, like with regards to things like personal space. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, what I thought was really interesting is like that so many people on the flight, mostly coming back, they were so, they, they were changing their seats so frequently <laughs> on the flight, which I thought was so interesting. Like, this is your seat. Let's yeah. sit in our seat. But no, they were like, there was a guy who was next to me who was bouncing around, sitting next to strangers, sitting next to his wife, which was on the other side of the plane, going to the back, talking to some guys. It's like a party or something. I don't understand what was going on. I know. I Um, noticed that exact same thing. (laughs) And there was this, like 10 minutes before we were landing, like the the seat but buckle your seatbelts up sign was on, and we were getting ready to land, which means they were closing things down and packing things up. This woman was like ringing her bell and called over the flight attendant and was like, "I want to change my seat." And they were like, "Honey, it's over." You know. <laughs> oh, I love it. I get what you mean though, because I there were definitely moments, especially towards the end, where I was like, I will never need to come back here. That was enough stress, and and yeah. I was home for a little bit, and I started to miss it. Yeah, exactly <laughs> the same. And then and then when they invited me back, I did not hesitate yeah. for one minute. Final question. <laughs> It might be like a little obsolete because I think that maybe the key is to address what needs to change for trans people to be safe and accepted like 
on a broader spectrum, like uh-huh. in all areas of their lives. But what do you see as the most important steps for making travel more accessible? Um, and and what advice would you have for trans people who are maybe nervous to travel? I think that the number one thing that the most important thing that would make uh, the number one thing that would make travel more accessible to um, trans people, honestly, it's the is is the documents. You know, it's it's not the be all end all, and it certainly is not the magic bullet, um, but it is a huge step in the right direction. And I know that there's a lot of people who don't have access, can't afford it, don't even have the resources or think that they have the resources. And so I would like to name one resource. It's the National Center for Trans Equality mm-hmm. and the Transgender Law, uh, Transgender, Transgender uh, Till Death, mm-hmm. uh, Transgender Legal Defense Fund, I think. Um, um, and so these two websites, these two organizations uh, are were very instrumental in me being able to navigate the the almost unnavigatable uh, world of changing your documents. Um, You know, in many states, there is a specific, a very specific yet not announced, but very specific order in which you have to change your documents. Like if you get your license before your your social security card, then they won't do, you know, different things. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. Um, and so ha- having access to documents and I think um, being able to change those over in a more um, seamless way is important. Um, hopefully one of the barriers as many states um, in many states is birth certificates. Um, some states allow folks to change the uh, gender marker on their on their birth certificate. Some don't. Um, and so that is sort of um, the the next frontier, I think, in terms of documents and travel. Uh, I think one of the things, a lot of the tools are already out there, though, for some people. Again, unfortunately, what we're talking about here is the best way around the ignorance and um, the discrimination or the bigotry, you know, because you can't force everyone to be educated all at once. Mm. And even when you do educate them all at once, you can't force them to kind of make that change in their belief system and so the way around that unfortunately right now is paying for convenience and so things like tsa pre-check we're we're talking about air travel uh things like tsa pre-check and global entry um and other similar programs in other countries um uh century is one um there's a few others in other countries uh, in Canada and in Europe and, and everything, uh, paying for those programs will allow you to sign up and kind of skip the line mm-hmm. and bypass having to go through the body scanner, the dreaded body scanner, which is a nightmare. Cause I still, I can't get through the body scanner because I'm just, yeah, whatever the, whatever the algorithm is, <laughs> I don't, I don't pass it. Yeah. Um, and and so that's kind of what I would say in terms of travel um, until people really do sort of make that paradigm shift and kind of understand more about gender and understanding um, that gender itself is not binary. And so I think that's really the ultimate goal. But in the meantime, get yourself TSA pre-check and get your do- your documents ready and updated so we can go on a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, Peppermint. Absolutely. I'm so sorry for the New York City noise in the background. Hopefully your listeners 
will think of it as uh, maybe I'm bringing them to New York with me. Yes, very like <laughs> atmospheric. I love it. All right, have a great evening. Thanks again. All right, thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> It was such a pleasure to chat with Peppermint. She has so much insight into the experience of trans people, not only in travel, but in their lived everyday experiences. If you want to find out more about Peppermint, go to one of her shows, listen to her podcast, or watch her on RuPaul, go to peppermintonline.com. You can also find her on Twitter at peppermint247. This podcast is produced by Katie Lohr and written and hosted by me, Erin Hines. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at at Pod. You can also join our Facebook group, Alpaca Your Bags. We have lots of fun on there. We share really interesting articles and we just have great conversations about travel, sustainability, and a whole plethora of, of issues. Um, you can email us at hello at alpacamybags.ca and you can leave a review. Please leave us a review. We love reading them. And in the future, if you leave a really good one, we might share it with you live on the podcast. Tune in every other Wednesday for more episodes. I hope you all get to alpaca your bag soon. Until next time.